and you're looking at it and you want to go down this way and your friend goes, sure, go ahead, you know. Um, and you're like, why? What's wrong? And you, the friend says, go ahead, you know, it's fine with me. That wouldn't be a very good friend, right? Because you're like, come on, tell me what's wrong with this trail, you know, go ahead. Um, if a doctor who knew you had a life-threatening illness simply said, no, everything's fine, just get some rest, you know, um, you'd be like, that's a really bad doctor. In the same way, if a church just talked about the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the patience of God and never talked about the wrath of God, um, that wouldn't actually be a good church. See, it doesn't matter whether we like it, whether we want it, whether we agree with it, uh, any discussion of God's character that does not include God's wrath is really uh, incomplete. It's not full. So I want to begin by defining the wrath of God. Now, the wrath of God actually is, it is um, his necessary and just righteous retribution against sin. And this is actually what we're going to be looking at as we look at uh, the this, this psalm this morning. So I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm 50, verse 1. Psalm 50, verse 1. And shall we stand together? So this is, the word, this is the word of God from Psalm 50, verse 1. It says, The Mighty One, the God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, and upon him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people, Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for the God himself is judge, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. For I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. But I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Going down to verse 16. To the wicked, God says, what right do you have to recite my statutes or to take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. These things you have done and I have been silent and you thought that I was one like you. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none left to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. This is verse 23. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So from this passage, we're going to see that the consciousness of God's wrath is essential for a proper worship and proper living. And so we're, it, it, what's important is that we need to walk with the awareness of the wrath of God in order to live right before God day by day. That the wrath of God informs us of how we worship and how we live uh, in, in light of Jesus Christ. And there are three questions we want to answer concerning the wrath of God. First of all, you know, why must God judge? The second thing, how will God judge? And the third thing is what is our response to God's coming judgment. So the first question is, why must God judge? You know, look at verse one. It says, the mighty one, the Lord God, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. In verse four, it says, he calls 
to the heaven above and to earth that he may judge his people. Now here's the thing is that these verses, they paint a picture of kind of like a, a heavenly courtroom where the Lord Almighty, he stands as judge over all his people. And it says his presence is accompanied by a devouring fire, a raging tempest. And then it says in verse 4 that everyone on earth from east to west, that they're summoned before this heavenly judge. And verse 6 tells us why God must judge. He says the heavens declare the righteous, his righteousness for God himself is the judge. Now, a lot of times, you know, if we have difficulty, you know, with a God who judges, I think what we need to ask ourselves is how important is justice to us? How important is justice to us? I mean, if, if we had a God who kind of stood by and just let evil persist, if, we let a, if, we, uh, if, a, if, a, if God just kind of let people get away with rape, with child abuse, with oppression, with human trafficking, with murder, with genocide, and God says, well, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to let it go. You guys figure out what you want to do. We wouldn't really consider that God a very loving God, right? We wouldn't consider that God a very good God. We wouldn't want to uh, follow a God like that or worship a God like that. Uh, a God of love is also a God who will love justice. A God who is truly good is a God who will bring appropriate consequences to bear upon evil. And so we think about this idea, why must God judge? Uh, because he is righteous, uh, because um, he is a just God, and we're thankful that he's a righteous God. We're thankful that he will judge. I mean, some people will say, well, um, wouldn't the world be better if there was no um, idea of final judgment? You know, if there's no final justice, they say, well, I mean, if there's no final judgment, then everyone would be kind of more free, and maybe everyone would treat each other better. But we look at that and say, well, is that really um, true? Is that really better for us if there's no final judgment? If there's no idea, if there's no ultimate consequences for the things that we do, uh, is that better for us you know, as a society? Well, if there's no ultimate consequences, then um, dictators who instigate bloody reigns of terror, and we know this happens, and they live in great luxury, they would be no different than those who give their lives to help the poor. If there's no ultimate judge, no ultimate justice, then it would almost be, be, be like, well, it doesn't really matter. It's whatever we feel. And in fact, uh, it doesn't even matter what we feel because in the end, if there's no justice, then um, people just do whatever they want to do. If there's no final judgment, if there's no final justice, then people will say, um, I need to take justice into my own hands because there's no final justice. And, and so, so if somebody wrongs me, the only way to get justice is if I do it myself. And so you have countries that live in endless cycles of violence, right? You have uh, ethnic cleansing, you have people, one group of people against another, and they say, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're yearning for justice. They're saying, these people uh, killed my family, so now I'm going to kill their family, and then their family will kill, go back and forth. And you say, now you have this constant cycle. You have children growing up in countries where their entire life has been uh, war and violence. 
And so we look at this and we say, well, looking at the present situation of our world, the concept of an ultimate judge and, and, and a day of judgment is not the cause of the problems in this world. The problems in the world are caused by us that our idea of justice, our corrupted view of, of right and wrong is what causes a lot of suffering and struggle in this world. And that the idea of a righteous judge, a final judgment is actually a, a source of hope, a, a source of light in darkness to say that there's a promise that someday everything is gonna be made right, that there's a judge and he's not you and he's not me. And this gives us the ability to even turn out the cheek to forgive, to move forward, even when we're treated unjustly, because we know that there's going to be an accountability to God himself. So the next question is, how will God judge? How will the wrath of God, um, what will God judge uh, based upon? Now, he doesn't judge <laughs> according to our standards, uh, because our standards change, right? I mean, if you look at the world today, our standards change. There's some things that are illegal in some countries and they're very legal in other countries. It's just like we were just saying this, I was just talking to somebody this morning, we were saying, well, you know, if I'm in California and I wanna fill my suitcase with a bunch of pot, it's perfectly legal. But if I travel with that pot to another country, um, I could get put in jail because, you know, again, the laws are so different. And even like you say, well, um, even in the same country, some things that were illegal before are legal now. And so human standards, as well-intentioned as they are, they're not really reliable. They're not uh, consistent. And so, if, so God does not judge according to human standards. Uh, God doesn't waffle when it comes to justice. God's justice is perfect and it's consistent. And so we look at this and say, well, what, what standards will God use? Um, in verse 25, it says, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you, not for your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, and cattle on a thousand hills. Now, this is really interesting because we normally use this verse to say, oh, God is so gracious because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You know, he can do anything for us. But actually, <laughs> this statement is written in terms of God saying uh, to the Israelites, saying, well, you know, you guys offer a lot of sacrifices to me. I mean, that's not a problem, but basically God says, I own all your sacrifices anyway. So technically you're not really giving me anything I don't already have. So he says, I'm not faulting you for the fact that, you know, every day you come and put your sacrifices on the altar, you burn it like a good, you know, Israelite is supposed to do. But see, God says, but I, I really look at the heart God says from an external view, you know, yeah, the altar's never empty. But what I look at is what's going on inside. He says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. And what he's saying is that the sacrifices are supposed to be an expression of the heart, uh, the inner man. Uh, they're supposed to be expressions of thanksgiving, of seeking God, and, and so God will actually judge the heart, what's going on in our inside, not just you know, the fact that we do all these good things. Now the second thing God does um, judge is he does judge our actions, 
and he judges our deeds. In verse 17, he says, for you hate discipline, you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him, you keep company with adulterers, you give your mouth free reign for evil, your tongue frames deceit, you speak, you sit and speak against your brother, you slander your own mother's son. This is like talking about the Ten Commandments. And he's saying, you know, you steal, you lie, you bear false witness. This is going on. God says, I, I kind of see these things. He's saying, you know, you, you put the offering on the altar, but then you go home and, you know, you lie. And so the judgment of God is focused on both, you know, the heart and the actions. And they're kind of, you know, related, right? Your heart and your actions are related. Verse 17 says, I hate discipline, meaning I don't care about God. I throw God's words behind me. And, um, and, and it says that we think that you know, God doesn't care. Uh, but God says, I'm looking at your heart, I'm looking at your actions. And so we look at this and we say, you know, God must judge. We look at, he's gonna judge our thoughts, he's gonna judge our actions. And then the third response is, okay, what do we do? What do we do as believers? What do we do as just people when we think about this fact that God's going to, there's an ultimate day which we stand before God and he's gonna be looking at these things. And so the first concern we might say is, well, how do I escape God's wrath? Okay, how do I get out of this? Uh, verse 22 says, mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. Now, this kind of sounds, kind of graphic, it's like tearing us apart. Um, it, the, the image is that of like ravenous animals tearing, uh, tearing this helpless prey apart. It's very graphic, but what it's doing is, it's an idiom that, um, that describes judgment, describes disaster. This is something that in scripture, it's, it's quite common. And so what it's saying is that when it comes to the punishment for evil, the judgment of God is not a little thing. It's not something to be trifled with. It's not something that we say, well, you know, I think I can take it. Um, yeah, I can take it. I'm tough. Uh, I don't mind. Or other people say, well, I don't mind being in hell as long as my friends are there. Or they say, well, I don't mind because, you know, hell's the fun place. Things like that. And so there's a lot of different ideas about, you know, what hell is like and things like that. Um, but actually what the psalmist is saying is that hell is actually not a fun place. It's a horrible place. It's a place of unimaginable suffering. It's a place to be avoided at all costs. Um, Jesus actually said, you know, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, or it's better to cut it off than have your whole body go to hell. Now, uh, this does not mean we actually cut our hands off or things like that. This means what, what, what Jesus is saying is that hell is such a horrible place that man, do whatever you can. Do whatever you can to, 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 to get out of, to make sure that you don't go to hell because it's just a terrible, horrible place. And, and so we look at this and say, well, what is then required? How does one actually avoid hell? How does one um, go to heaven? Uh, do we need to be more religious? Do we need to like offer the sacrifice? Are there forms of sacrifices that we do today? Well, God says very clearly, there's no amount of good things, or good things that we do that can get us to heaven. And what he's saying is we can offer, you know, these things on the altar all day. We can put those burnt offerings on the altar. That would be our good works. But it, it really won't bring us any closer to heaven or redemption. Why? Because God looks at our heart. You know, a lot of times we say, well, I have a good heart. I mean, I have good intentions. 
Uh, but Jesus actually says, if you hate someone in your heart, it's as if you murder them over and over again. And, you know, I think about this a lot, and I think about, like, you know, when, when somebody does something to me, and then I have these, like, I'm not happy with them. And I think about, oh, man, I hope they get what's coming to them. Or I hope, I hope that uh, what they're doing will fall on top of them. And, 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 and they'll be exposed, and people will know what they're doing and what they're like. I mean, that, that sometimes we just feel that way. And, and Jesus kind of saying to me, well, you know, Every time you think that, you're like murdering them. Jesus says, if you look at a woman uh, with lust, then you have already uh, committed adultery with her in your heart. You, you're like a rapist, an adulterer. You're liable to judgment. Um, and I, you know, I don't think I need to say more about that. That's a very powerful, very, very powerful statement. The Bible says even if we say one lie, if we need to disobey our parents once, if we stole something or we cursed God under our breath, this one sin leads to hell. Um, the Bible says very clearly all of us are sinful. Um, we all have sinned. Um, you and I, if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as, as Savior, God is saying, you know, this is, this is the wages of sin. The wages of sin, the gift of God, the wages of sin is death. And the good news is the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life, is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We talk about this, the idea of the gospel, and we talked about, you know, we listened earlier about um, Caleb and Clara going overseas to share the gospel. We think about um, uh, Teresa going to, to continue to share the gospel. This gospel is so important as we think about this. And we're talking about this year going out to, to, to share the gospel. This is not something where we just say, well, this is something that we need to do. It's what a good Christian does. It's what I make sure I get my check mark so that I, you know, done my thing for this year, all that kind of stuff. This is, this is about, um, about saving lives about being that church that does remind people that this, this road isn't not just a bad road, it leads straight to, to hell, no matter where you run. I was, when I was a kid, we were uh, doing these things, really bad things. No, no, it's not really politically correct right now. Well, we were throwing rocks on the road, actually. We were throwing rocks on the road as a little kid, right? And we knew the trails really well. So um, we threw this rock on the road and it hit a car. And it went bang, really loud. And we were terrified and we just went running down the trail. And we were like running so far away from this car because we were scared to death, right? And the bad thing was I had a gun with me that my friend had given me, which I thought was really cool. So I was holding this gun with me too while we were running. And like, we're only like, I'm only like, how old was I then? I was like 13, 14, and I was carrying a rifle, like a loaded, it wasn't loaded, it was just a rifle. <laughs> and we're running down this trail, trying to get away from this car that we accidentally hit with a rock. And then we were running like crazy to get away, and we finally got to the end of the trail, and there was a cop right there. And it was like, and he caught us, and he grabbed the gun away from me, and he was checking it, and he put us against the car. We were only 13 years old. And he put my friend in the car, 
And he said, I have a lie detector in the car, which we were terrified, but now we realize, I don't think they have lie detectors in their cars. <laughs> but as kids, you know, when they say, you have a, we have a lie detector in the car, we're like terrified, you know? And so they, he would interview him first, and then he'd interview me, and we said, no, it was, there were some other kids, and we saw them. No, literally, he said, there were some other kids, and we saw them throwing rocks, and we were scared because we saw them hit the car, and we started running, you know? And... Um, but of course they knew because eventually he said, we have a lie detector in the car. And then, so we're terrified. We go, no, it was us. Okay, we did it, you know. <laughs> and um, the guy gave me back the gun and he says, don't carry this around. You know, it's not safe. And uh, he said, it's good thing that the guy in the car is going to let you go. And so we were like, oh, thank God, you know. Well, I was not a Christian at that time. But I, I think of that picture a lot of times, and I think about, oh, you know, sometimes we, we do things and we run like crazy. We run away from the things that, um, that we've done. And we feel like when we run away from them, we can probably get away. And we keep running down this path, getting farther and farther away from the, the penalty of what we've done. Like, that's just our instinct, just run. But we don't realize that at the end of that pathway, is the judge. We're running right towards judgment. We're not running away from the problems. We're running towards the punishment for the things that we do. And that's really what this idea of the gospel is, is that a lot of times when people, we think, well, I'm trying to get away from this. I'm trying to get away from that. I'm trying to do these good things. And we're running from the things that we have done, but we don't realize that we're actually running towards hell. Unless... We, we come to receive the things that God has given us, that, that God has said, hey, um, that instead of, uh, uh, of, of, of being punished for the things that you have done, uh, Jesus Christ has died for our sin. Uh, he is the Son of God. He died for our sin. He took the penalty. He took the punishment. And if we believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for my sin, that he rose from the dead, we choose to follow him, then when we're running down that path, uh, when we meet God, um, God will welcome us. Uh, God will not punish us. God will say, I have a lie detector test, but I already know everything about you, and I already know everything about what you've said, and I already know what you've done. There's no need to run. Uh, you're all forgiven. Because Jesus Christ has died on the cross for you and has risen from the dead. And so we, we look at this and we say, um, this is really what it means to... Um, to understand this wrath of God, that if we have not accepted Jesus as Savior, we are really running in the wrong direction, and we really need to come and, and, and receive Jesus as Savior. Now, for those who have, not who have received Jesus as Savior, we've been forgiven our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. God's wrath is still a very powerful force in our lives. Verse 14 says, and the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me to the one who orders his life rightly, I will show the salvation of God. And so he's saying, if you offer, if you do these things, I will show the salvation of God to you. Now, this statement also, uh, when we look at this, um, this idea that says, I will show the salvation of God to you, it doesn't mean, okay, if you do the wrong things, I will take away God's salvation from you. What this statement is saying is that the salvation of God is not simply an event, 
but rather it's a constant experience. It's something that continues to go on in our lives. God shows his salvation in our lives day to day as we walk with him, as we live for him. The wrath of God reminds us that not only are we saved, but this great salvation uh, is the way in which we live now in him. Now, there are two practical applications that I can think of in terms of what God's salvation means to us day to day. The first is what I would say is the freedom, living in freedom from the judgment of others. I mean, if God is the judge, <coughs> if God is the ultimate judge, then um, we don't have to worry about other people judging us because they're not, we've already talked about God, people don't judge very well. I mean, we get this all the time, right? Everywhere we go in this world, people judge us, right? You get that kind of look, you know? I went to church one time, this is in Texas. I went to church one time, I saw my friend, this is this girl, she looked at my shirt and she just burst out laughing. Just, she, she said, I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing, your shirt, you didn't iron it this morning, you know? And I'm like, oh gosh, I'm single, right? Uh, at that time. And she's laughing and laughing and laughing and she says, I'm so sorry, it just, it's so wrinkled, I can't help it, you know? And I'm like, oh, and I felt like, oh gee, does that mean everybody's been looking at me these last, you know, tons of weeks? Because I never iron my shirts. <laughs> and it's like, um, and, but you know, people just judge all the time, right? They give that funny look, like when you, you go to work, when you say something, when you wear something, uh, when they ask you, what do you do? When they ask you, what school did you come from? When they ask you, what do you like? People judge all the time. Sometimes people judge very directly too. They're not, they don't hide it. Some people are real good at hiding it, some people are not, but we get judged for our clothes, we get judged for our intelligence, we get judged for our accomplishments. People judge us for being overweight, people judge us for being underweight, people judge us for being too pretty, people judge us for being too ugly, people judge us for being too plain. We get judged for the things that we enjoy, we get judged for the things that we don't enjoy, we get judged for the things we believe in, we don't believe in. We, we get judged for things that are completely out of our control. I can't help it. This is how I look. This is who I am. And yet people will judge. And we get, we get judged for initial impressions. We get judged by false impressions. We get judged when, there's mis when we're misunderstood. And we get judged when we're understood fully. <laughs> right? I mean, we can't win. You just can't win. Every, but yet every day, we still try to win. Right? We try to change our behavior. We are changed the way we look. We try to we do, we don't do the things that we enjoy because we think someone is judging us. Or we do the things that we don't enjoy or that we don't think are right. Why? Because people are judging us. Because we fear judgment. But verse six says there's no other judge than God. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is the judge, okay? Nobody else is the judge. Nobody else has the right or whatever to stand over you in judgment. God is the judge, so therefore, we don't have to hide, okay? We don't have to hide. We don't have to wear a mask. We don't have to be something that we're not. We don't have to be defensive about who we are. We can admit our sin. We don't have to hide in shame. We live free. We can be honest. Because we know that we're always valued and always loved by God. 
we can be at peace because God is the judge. That's very important to remember. It's very powerful for all of us. The second application, the wrath of God, enables us to give us a, a, a sobering motivation to conform to the righteousness of God. See, the fact that, that we're forgiven by God does not mean that uh, we belittle sin. I mean, Paul even talked about it. Paul says, you know, should I sin more so that I get more grace? He's saying, well, according to Christianity, you know, if I sin, I get grace, I get forgiveness, I get the grace of God. So if I really want to experience God's grace, I really need to sin. Boy, you know, things like that. And, you know, it sounds kind of dumb, but sometimes if you grow up as a Christian, you kind of say, well, you know, I grew up as a Christian. I never did really bad things and things like that. And, boy, I wish I was like that guy who carried a gun, you know, things like that. <laughs> but the wrath of God combines, combined with the forgiveness of God, it gives us a new and unique resolve to honor God. I mean, all the religions in this world, what they do is, is, is they obey God because of fear or maybe because of greed, Not greed in a sense that people are trying to avoid hell or they're trying to gain something from God, get to heaven. The greed and fear are this motivation to do certain things. And, and sometimes we use that, even as parents, we use that, you know, if you don't, you know or uh, you know, I'll give you this if you do that. Um, and they can be effective motivators when you're a little kid. But when you're an adult, when you're grown up, these, these motivators are not right. Um, uh, they're, they're driven kind of by the sin nature in a sense, like fear, right? Fear and greed, those are sinful things. They're driven by lower desires, how we respond to people around us, how we obey people because we're afraid of them or because we want something from them. But God, God deserves more than that. God deserves better than that. God deserves an obedience and a righteousness that comes from worship, from a recognition that God is worthy of our praise and of our lives and of our obedience and of our honor. That we love God not because of what he can do to us, not because of what he has, uh, what he has done, what he um, can give to us, but rather we love God because of what he has done for us, what he has already given to us. The world says, oh, it's better if uh, you don't judge one another, uh, if you just accept everyone, everyone's actions, but the world doesn't, you know, the world doesn't live that way. I mean, you look at even the politics right now, you're looking at all the politics, and everybody says, well, if only you uh, just learn how to accept one another, full acceptance of everything will make this a better world. It's not a better world. People are still judging, hurting, condemning, treating each other so poorly, even those who say, I accept every single person except Christians, you know, or whatever. But see, we as Christians, we live with the consciousness of the wrath of God, that there is a judgment. And what this does is it enables us to live humbly, because in the light of God's wrath, we are reminded that I deserve to be um, punished. I deserve to die. You ever those situations where you've had a near-death situation 
you know, when you're riding a bike, I remember riding a bike and I remember almost getting hit by a car. Um, and it was so terrifying. And getting out of that and thinking, I should have died for being so stupid, you know. I should have died. But we're reminded as Christians, and we should have died for the things that we have done, but we, we don't. And it, it brings us a certain humility. The second thing is that it, it, it also makes us truly loving. That, that when we look at injustice, when we look at those who hurt us and things like that, we can respond in a way that's not like hurtful or angry or trying to get justice. But we, we can approach with, with a heart that is unselfish, that's humble that knows that we have received grace and forgiveness for the very same things that we have done to others. The Heidelberg Catechism says this. It says, what comfort is it to you that Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead? Okay, this is a very interesting question because it's like, comfort? What comfort would it bring? And this is the answer that in all my afflictions and persecution, meaning all the things that I suffer and struggle with right now, with uplifted head, I may wait for the judge from heaven who has already offered himself to the judgment of God for me and has taken away for me all curse. This is, what, this is how we live. In all the things that we struggle with, in all the persecution, and we may feel the persecution, and we may feel the struggle, and we may feel helpless about what we can do about it, or what has been done to us, but we're reminded that God has offered himself, he has, someone who has offered himself, Jesus, to the judgment of God for me, and has taken away from me all curse. This is how we live. Let's go ahead and let's, let's close in prayer. Let's, let's spend some time in prayer together right now. And as we pray